Welcome to Data Dialogues from Equifax, a podcast about how data-driven insights can power smarter business decisions. Welcome to another episode of Data Dialogues. I'm your host, Jeff Duggar. I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Jennifer Priestley at Kennesaw State University School of Data Science and Analytics, where she is Professor of Statistics and Data Science. Dr. Priestley is a pioneer in bringing data science programs into universities. Today, she will share with us how universities are collaborating with industry to shape the field of data science and to help companies strengthen their data science programs. Welcome, Jennifer, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. For our listeners who may not be familiar with KSU and its School of Data Science and Analytics, can you introduce us to the work you do as a professor with KSU, and more specifically with the focus on the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research? Yeah, absolutely. So it's my favorite topic, actually. So the School of Data Science and Analytics at Kennesaw State is housed within the College of Computing and Software Engineering. And within our school, we have uh, four entities. We have the undergraduate minor in applied statistics and data analysis that serves um, about 150, 200 undergraduates at any given point in time. We have our master's of science in applied statistics and analytics. And in that program, we have about 50 students. Again, at any given point in time, we have a PhD program in data science, uh, which we are proud to say we were the first university in the country to launch a formal PhD in data science. And then finally, we have the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research that you just made reference to. So the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research really is um, sort of the heartbeat of the School of Data Science and Analytics at KSU. That is the primary point of um, intersection between what we do in the classroom and what we do in terms of collaborating with private sector organizations. So right now we have uh, about eight to 10 um, different private sector collaborations. And in the context of those collaborations, um, students have an opportunity to work on real-world problems, real-world data. Um, specifically in the context of the PhD program, they're working on novel challenges, um, specific areas of research and thought leadership in the data science space. Um, but importantly, the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research is the point where the students really learn what it means to be a data scientist. So, you know, I like to say that you can learn being a doctor in the classroom, right? You can study all the textbooks around biology and biochemistry, but you don't actually learn how to be a doctor until you start walking up and down the hallway of the hospital, right? So, you know, similarly, our students are learning the theory behind mathematics and statistics and computer science, but I would argue they're not really learning how to be data scientists, until they start working with organizations and they start hearing what those challenges are, what's actually happening on the ground, uh, and how to put what they're learning in the classroom in action. Well, let's dive into that a little further. As you mentioned, being a pioneer in bringing data science into the academic world, having launched one of the first data science PhD programs at a university, what were some of the challenges involved in getting that off the ground? Oh, my gosh. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> so, you know, we it's it's incredible to think about. But if we go back just 
15 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, we didn't even have this academic discipline that we now call data science. There were no university programs that were formally teaching students at any level, undergraduate, master's, or doctorate, how to extract, transport, load, clean data, uh, and then apply different modeling techniques to then translate that data into information to solve problems, right? There, you know, there were no programs that did that. And when you start thinking about all of the different traditional academic disciplines that go into that core set of skills, you know, again, you've got computer science, you've got statistics, statistical modeling, you've got applied mathematics, um, increasingly, you also have the different humanity disciplines about the societal impacts of, of what this process ultimately results in. And so in a traditional university setting, um, I like to say that universities do silos better than any other organization on the planet. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's not traditional to have the computer science department and the math department and the statistics department working collaboratively with the business school and with the College of Humanities and with engineering. And yet that's exactly what you have to do in order to have an effective data science program is you have to have this interdisciplinary approach where you bring these different academic disciplines together. So I think the biggest challenge that we faced, um, and I, I think you'll probably hear this from other universities as well, is, is to bring together faculty and departments and traditionally siloed uh, um, areas of the university together to have this common program, this singular program where we have this input from all these different um, perspectives on data science. But ultimately, that's what you have to do to really have a world-class program. So without question, that was the biggest challenge. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a Wild West with uh, people coming from a whole bunch of different fields. I know personally, I work with data scientists with backgrounds in engineering and political science and even forestry. And you mentioned others like mathematics, statistics, and computer science. Mm -hmm. So you're bringing some civilization to this Wild West <laughs> environment. And what are some of the core uh, fields? What are the, some of the core commonalities that you extract out of these various uh, disciplines to make this work? Uh, algorithms, math, tools, etc.? Yeah, all of the above. It's such a great question. You know, I, I like to say that if data science was going to have a mascot, it would be the platypus. Uh, we would be the fighting platypi. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, you know, it's very easy to classify a computer scientist, right? It's very easy to classify a mathematician. But much like uh, historically people that are engaged in, you know, taxonomy of the animal kingdom have kind of struggled to, you know, where do you put a platypus, right? Because it's, it's a mammal, but it lays eggs, and it's got webbed feet and a duck bill, but it's got fur, right? So it kind of crosses all these traditional, um, all these traditional barriers that we've historically set up for what it means to be a particular type of animal, a particular type of creature. And so when we talk about data science, we, you know, again, to kind of reiterate that point about interdisciplinarity, a data scientist is not a computer scientist, 
but they have to understand computer science. A data scientist is not a statistician, but they have to understand statistics. You know, a data scientist is not a mathematician, but obviously they have to understand mathematics. So within the context of um, what I've seen across the country with different academic programs and how data science has been evolving, I like to say that programs take kind of one of two forms very broadly. Um, we see data science programs that are what I'll call hub-based programs, and then programs that are what I'll call spoke-based programs. So what do I mean by that? So hub programs are programs where students are studying to become scientists of data. And those are, those are the programs that typically are going much deeper into the programming and into the computer science. Um, these are the students that are really learning how to work with massive amounts of unstructured data. Um, they're they're going to be excelling in artificial intelligence and machine learning. And they are fairly agnostic in terms of their area of application. So the core... Uh, is going to be the same, whether they're ultimately going to be applying data science to healthcare, to financial services, or to manufacturing, or to marketing, or, or whatever the area of application is, because their area of study is data science. They are Their hub program, their major is data science, and then they'll have some area of application. And so again, those programs tend to be more computationally strong. Um, you know, again, ours is housed in the College of Computing and Software Engineering. Our students go very deep in the math and into the computer science, but importantly, they have to have some area of application. I would draw then a contrast to data science and analytics programs that are what I'll call based programs, which means that the students study something else. So they're majoring in finance or they're majoring in uh, engineering or they're majoring in biology or healthcare, and then they pick up one or two classes in analytics. And so these um, programs tend to um, be maybe less deep in the computational aspects of data science and much more focused on um, um, more black box software, um, really focused on um, being able to interpret the results and communicate the results within the context of whatever their their focus is. Again, be that financial services or healthcare, or retail, or whatever the um, whatever the area is that they're um, they're really focused in. So you know, again, to summarize um, across the entire academic kind of ecosystem. Data science has kind of evolved as a unique academic discipline in one of two uh, forms, either their hub programs where students are really learning how to be true scientists of data, or it's a spoke program where the students are really going deep in something like finance or healthcare, uh, and then picking up one or two analytics classes as part of their training. Great. So as a scientist of data, then data is at the heart of everything we do. Uh, one item I've noticed in my own experience as a data scientist and dealing with students as I work with some students, including from KSU, <clears throat> there's a lot of focus on algorithms and math and code, but there seems to be a big shock for people getting into data science at the beginning of how much work there is to go into cleaning up the data, uh, how to mitigate the impact of imperfect data, how to interpret the results. Uh, I would imagine that is one thing that is unique and fundamental to this field of data science that the other fields and the, the uh, uh, spokes 
may may not emphasize as much as you'll get in the hub. What would you say about that? Well, it, it's such a spot on point, Jeff. Um, this this whole idea of working with real data. So let me give you a very specific example of this. So I I teach a class in the spring every year. Um, called STAT 8330. And this is a a binary classification class, and the students are actually working with some very real, very messy, uh, very imperfect uh, data that actually came to us from Equifax. So Equifax very graciously gave us this uh, massive data set that um, we can now use for academic purposes, which, by the way, as a footnote to all of your listeners – um, we as data science faculty can't do what we need to do if we don't have real data. And we can go out and get things from Kaggle or, or things from the U.S. government or things off of the Internet. But I tell you what, nothing is better. There's nothing that works better in the classroom than having somebody from an organization actually walk in and say, here's my data. Here are my pain points. Uh, and here's what a day in the life of a data scientist within my, within my organization, here's what it looks like. And he, again, here's, here's what that data really looks like. Um, that becomes a very real experience for the students in a way that uh, just pulling down data from Kaggle just doesn't do. Um, but, it, but coming back to your question, so, you know, we have this massive, very messy data set uh, that was such a gift. So the students um, walk in, and these are predominantly doctoral students, but we have some master students too, and they walk in and, you know, they may not necessarily have an expectation that they're going to be building these binary classification models on day one or two, but they certainly think by day three, they're going to be writing some really cool code to, to do the classification. And the reality is they don't actually get to the point of building models until probably week six. Uh, or, you know, even later, because they have to spend so much time um, transforming the variables to to achieve things like monotonicity, to to find the optimized binning solution, to determine how to best transform the variable given the context of the dependent variable. And, and just this whole you know, kind of real world issue that they have to deal with, with um, coded values and and erroneous values and um, values that just don't make sense within the context of, uh, of the business problem. And so again, they have to spend a lot of time thinking through imputation strategies. And, and again, how do I how do I bin this data? And how do I do these transformations? And then of course, they've got a ton of data, they've got 1000s of potential predictors, uh, which it obviously won't work. So they have to go through a variable reduction, a data reduction process. And, and the, the point that we continue to drive home to these students is there's a lot of right ways to do this. There's a lot of wrong ways to do this. But importantly, there's a lot of right ways to do this. And uh, you just have to be able to think through the decisions that you're making now in, in step five how those decisions in terms of how you're cleaning and transforming this data are ultimately going to impact your results in step 50. And so I think if nothing else, you know, the the student, you know, the coding is easy. Building a logistic regression model ultimately is pretty easy. I think what the students actually learn in that class are the latent skills of thinking about how I'm cleaning and pre-processing and engineering the data in the first couple weeks, how that then 
affects the model in week eight, nine, ten. Uh, and then obviously at the end, in terms of building their profitability function or however it is that they're going to be judged. So it's it's like opening that aperture um, so that you're not just thinking about achieving a 98% global classification rate. That That's, that's not where we're going to be placing our focus. Our focus is going to be much broader in terms of this entire continuum of going from raw, messy data all the way through the data cleansing, data prep, um, optimization, and then model building, and then ultimately the classification process. Um, so... So, you know, hopefully that answers your question, but but that that is a really important aspect, I think, to data science that I think gets lost sometimes. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's certainly something that we tend to place a lot of emphasis on at Kennesaw State. It's just this idea of how to go from raw data through the through the the data cleansing data engineering process because that is not trivial and that has so much more impact on ultimately your ability to add value to an organization um, than just being able to download some python code yes and in my experience i would say that's probably the one item that really surprises a lot of newcomers to the field uh, there's a lot of focus on all the fancy algorithms the ai the neural networks the machine learning, but everybody seems to forget if they're new to this field that it's all about the data. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it's all about, you know, get, getting the answer right, right? I mean, it's all about adding value to the organization. So let's not start with the most complex option first, right? Let's start with the simplest option and then work our way up. So that's another challenge that I have found, especially with doctoral students, is they like to beat their chest about how complicated their neural nets are and their deep learning processes and, um, you know, how they now understand all of these different um, Keras packages and all these different things that they've been able to pull down off of GitHub. And okay, okay, yay. Um, But ultimately, if you can solve this problem using a simple regression model, let's do that first. Uh, And then let's talk about becoming more sophisticated. But let's not go after the most complex solution right out of the gate. I would agree with that. I remember learning that lesson when I was fresh out of a PhD as a beginning engineer and had to have that taught to me by an experienced uh, older engineer. Look for the Mm. simplest solution first. It's all about solving Mm -hmm. the problem. Yeah, absolutely. So a related topic would be understanding the results that you're getting out of the model. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how does one know that the results make sense, that they're not crazy? Like, for example, let's, let's be a little extreme and say your model tells you you have a 99% accurate prediction. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you instill in the students that there's probably something wrong there? <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's funny you should bring that up because we have this problem every year and I, you know, I have to laugh because it's almost always a math major, not to pick on math majors, but between you and me, we'll pick on math majors. So, uh, every year when I, I teach that, um, that same binary classification class, there's always that one student that thinks they've cracked the code, right? And they'll come up and they'll say, you know, wow, Dr. Priestley, I had the highest classification rate ever. Uh, you know, I, I win the prize. And, you know, we, 
have to explain to them that, you know, I'm willing to bet you a Diet Coke, which is a pretty important form of currency in my world. I'm willing to bet you a Diet Coke that you have one of the outcome variables that you're using as a predictor. And that I think I, I don't think I've ever been wrong on that. Um, anytime students come back with these really high classification rates, that's almost always the case. So, you know, again, I think that that experience in the classroom, as embarrassing as it is sometimes for the students, um, what a gift to have that mistake uh, in the context of your academic program such that you'll know to look for it then, uh, you know, after you graduate so you don't make that mistake on the job. Uh, which I, I'm sad to hear that that does sometimes happen. So the, the first thing that we have the students really check for as they're building their models is to make sure that they're not using anything that would be known only post hoc as a potential predictor. Um, and like I said, if they learn nothing, nothing else from my class, um, we, I hope that they take that very important lesson with them after they graduate. I think that's a very important point to make because I've heard of that happening as well. So it must be a fairly common mm. mistake. Mm-hmm. Although hopefully you haven't heard that from any of our students. <laughs> uh, no, I can't say that I okay, have. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier working with Equifax and working with data sets and, and mm-hmm. real world data and industry. Uh, what kind of feedback loop do you have from industries uh, that are looking to hire data scientists that drives your curriculum design, to, to, drives your training and teaching? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll, I'll just start just with some big, broad brushstrokes um, in the context of what we do at Kennesaw State at the undergraduate level, master's level, and even at the doctorate level is heavily integrated with our local uh, economic drivers. So, you know, ultimately we are a public university, right? I mean, we are funded by the taxpayers of the state of Georgia. And so we need to ensure that the those investments from the taxpayers of the state of Georgia in terms of what we're doing in the classroom is then creating value for the state of Georgia. And then obviously it all then comes back to the taxpayers. So, so yes, absolutely. We, you know, we we reach out and integrate what we do in the classroom um, at all levels with the big organizations that are really driving the economy of the state of Georgia. So when we first launched our, our master's program, our undergraduate program, the first thing we did is we called organizations like Equifax and Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola and the Home Depot and all the big Fortune uh, 100, 500 companies that were in and around the Atlanta area. We, we brought them into a big conference room and we said, bring us your job ads. Tell us what you need. You know, what is it that you're going to be hiring for? And importantly, not just what you're going to be hiring for today, but what are you looking for one, three, five years in the future? You know, somebody, you know, asked Wayne Gretzky very kind of famously a couple years ago, um, you know, what makes you the greatest? What makes you the greatest hockey player? And, and he said, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck's going to be. And so I think in terms of how we've been thinking about data science and analytics as an academic discipline, um, we've always kind of kept that philosophy in the front of how we've approached our curriculum design is we don't want to just be designing for the needs of 
uh, the state of Georgia and for the, the economic drivers of, of our local economy and our and then more broadly of our national economy. We don't want to just be um, meeting the needs of today. We want to ensure that we're going to be graduating people who are going to have um, skills that are going to be in demand long after the day that they graduate. So just in terms of big, broad brushstrokes, you know, integrating with with all of the big companies in and around Atlanta has always been um, on the forefront of what we do. You know, I said that the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research is really the heartbeat of what we do in the School of Data Science. And, you know, again, it's through the Center for Statistics and Analytical Research that we have these very strong ties with the private sector. And so, you know, we very quickly, regularly get feedback um, in at the micro level and at the macro level from organizations that we work with through the center in terms of what, what we're doing well and where we're falling short. And it's real-time feedback. Um, you know, if a student is, you know, re- recently graduated and went to work for an organization, you know, we, we get that feedback right away in terms of how well people are doing and, and again, where they're falling short. And so, you know, if we do get feedback that we're falling short in something, you know, we then go back and take a look at the curriculum. Was this an issue with that particular graduate or is there something really systemically um, is there a systemic gap in our curriculum such that we need to go back and take a look at it? And I can tell you what one issue that continues to come up in not just in our data science program, but I think consistently with data science programs across the country, and that is this whole idea of of communication, of soft skills, of students, um, you know, not just understanding the mathematics and the statistics and the computer science and all these hard skills we've been talking about, but also importantly, how do you communicate those results to a non-technical audience, both in terms of your ability to stand up and give a presentation, your ability to write, uh, just your ability to communicate to people, um, you know, again, who are technical and non-technical, but also people across um, the continuum of the of the administration within your organization, right? So from the CEO all the way down, you need to be able to communicate and throttle the depth um, of your messages um, in terms of computational complexity. You need to be able to throttle that based upon your audience. So I think those latent skills related to communications is really an important part of why we partner with um, so many organizations in the private sector, not just about reviewing our curriculum and making sure that what we're teaching in the classroom um, is consistent with what these organizations are going to need. But then also importantly, it's through conversations um, outside of just their faculty, actually working with people and talking with people who are actually practitioners of data science um, helps them develop their skills and communications, which is so critical. You make a very, very important point there. Uh, the ability of people to tell stories about their data, about their models of their data, about what the data and the results mean. I also like to instruct the students that work with us that the stories are not just important for their communicating to upper management or other colleagues who may not be experts. They're also very important for solving some of the issues we talked about earlier, understanding your data, mm-hmm. understanding the results you're getting out of your models. Mm-hmm. Because when you have to turn around and turn what you're doing into a story, it forces, it forces you to think clearly about what it is you're doing and not just throw data into Python and hope for some really good results. Yeah. So that's one way I try to sell students on 
learning to tell a story from the beginning. It will help them solve their problem as well as communicate mm -hmm. uh, what, they're, what they want to communicate to the people who matter in their world. Such a great point. And, and I think that ties back to part of the previous conversation about how you open up the aperture for data scientists, right? Beyond just the computational skills, the tools and the and all of the packages, but actually thinking more broadly about how are these results going to be used? Um, and, you know, w what role does parsimony play here? I mean, should I be willing to sacrifice a couple points of classification accuracy if I can go from 50 predictors down to 10 predictors or five predictors? You know, what does that what what does that actually cost? What's the loss function there in terms of that trade off? So, yes, absolutely. I think. Um, having those types of conversations, the, the understanding how these results are going to be used. I think it, it again, kind of opens up the, uh, the aperture and helps the students think more broadly about how their work fits into a larger picture. I think you've given us a lot of great insights today, uh, Jennifer. Uh, what would be the top three takeaways that companies can use to build and strengthen their data science programs? Yeah, so if I had to uh, just kind of pick three three big points for people to take away um, in no particular order, the first would be that you know universities are, are are truly working hard to pivot their curriculum to try to meet the needs of the private sector for data scientists. You know, I know I know everybody has openings for data scientists and they're having trouble hiring. Universities are working hard to make sure that what we're doing in the classroom has relevance. But importantly, we can't do what we do unless we're partnering with the private sector. So I would encourage all of your listeners to um, reach out to their local university to determine, is there a way that maybe I can sponsor a project? Is there a way that I can sponsor um, a capstone class? Um, can, can we de-identify some of the data that, that we use that, that really represent kind of a day in the life for our analysts? Is there a way that I can de-identify that and bring that into the classroom for some real-world classroom exercises? Um, so I, I guess that's the first point, that um, we can't do what we do without partnership with the private sector. The second is um, that you know, but back to that idea of communication skills, right? That students have to learn how to communicate beyond just learning the programming and the math and the computer science. And the way they do that is through talking and writing and engaging. Um, and so as you're looking to reach out to a, to a university for partnership, also ask if there's an opportunity for you to meet with students on a one-on-one -on -one basis, potentially to be a mentor. We have a great mentoring program that we've set up through our Center for Statistics and Analytical Research that's headed up by Bill Franks, who's just done an amazing job um, with that center. And in the context of the work that he's put together, um, he's bringing in people from the private sector to actually be mentors to help students with their communication skills. So I suspect that a lot of universities have something similar. So, so seek out opportunities to, again, engage with your local university. Um, and then the third is just, um, just more broadly related to um, that idea of hub programs versus spoke programs. 
you know, just about every major university across the country has some type of initiative in data science. Some, you know, like I said, are, are going deeper into um, data science, be, really helping students become scientists of data and going deep into hubs. And then some are more aligned as spokes where the students aren't necessarily going into the deep um, nuances of programming, but they're learning how to work with black boxes and they, they're taking those results and then tying it back to the original business problem. So neither of those approaches is wrong, but I, I would I would encourage your listeners if they are going to be reaching out to a university program for the purposes of partnership, do a little bit of investigating and try to understand what kind of program does this university have? Is it a spoke program or is that a hub program? Because that'll set expectations on both sides in terms of what that collaboration looks like. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your rich knowledge with us. If our listeners are interested in more information, where can they find you? Ooh, they can reach us at datascience.kennesaw.edu. Excellent. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Data Dialogues from Equifax. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified of future episodes and leave us a review. To keep our legal team happy, we'd like to remind you that nothing in this podcast is legal advice, and we recommend to always consult with your own legal representative to ensure your data use is handled properly. Also, the opinions and views expressed in the podcast are not intended as hard facts and advice. They're also not necessarily the views of Equifax. Equifax.